0: You're listening to The Community Podcast, episode 141. Reverend Andrew Moore wraps up our series on stewardship titled, What's Mine Is? This week's message is titled, Giving to the Local Church. If you'd like to learn more, please visit comref.org. So I'm going to start with a story of of bad investment, actually. I had us talk about that around the tables. Uh, And it it seems a little strange now. So he he prayed that what I say kind of is on our hearts, what God says is on our hearts. But this, this is an interesting story of bad investment. A guy named Henry uh, lives in the United States down in Alabama. Plays the bagpipes, which is pretty uncommon for somebody in Alabama. Uh, and because of that, he gets calls from people like all over all over the state, you know, in different various parts of the country, uh, to play at gigs. You know, sometimes funerals, sometimes weddings, what have you. And he gets a call from a pastor a few hours away, who asked him, this is, you know, two hours away, he asked him, you know, hey, we're we're having a, a service uh, for for a man who uh, who, who was Irish, and we, we would love we would love it if if you came and played at this man's funeral. Uh, the pastor is very clear up right up front. There's not going to be any pay. The church is really struggling financially, uh, and the man who's who's being buried he's uh, he was homeless. He didn't really have any friends or family that's going to be there. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a couple elders, a couple of deacons, and it's going to be you and. And so uh, Henry thought about it for a while. He doesn't usually accept non-paying gigs, uh, but he said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So it's a Friday, Friday morning service, about 11 o'clock uh, service. He, he gets up early in the morning on, on, on Friday, kind of warms up, gets in the car, loads the trunk, gets everything ready to go, and he, he heads down the road. Now this is pre-iPhone, pre-GPS. He's on his way. About 15, 30 minutes in, he hits a pothole, boom, blows a back tire. So he's got to stop. And he's, He unloads the trunk, he lifts up the back of the trunk, he lifts out the spare, he gets the jack, he jacks the car up, and, you know, 25 minutes later, he's got a new spare tire on, and he's on the road again, he's going. He gets lost. Now, if he, if he goes right there, he can make it on time. He can't, but he's lost. And there are, there are some of us, particularly the men in the room, who really struggle with asking for directions. First of all, let this be a lesson to all the men in the room. It's okay to stop and ask for directions, all right? It's okay. So he, he gets lost, and he's going through the back roads. He's trying to find his way to this, this no named cemetery in the middle of nowhere, in a place he's never been. Eventually, he gets there about an hour and a half late, and finally he shows up. He, he steps out of the car, and, and there's no pastor there. There's, there's no elders or deacons there. It's just the digging crew, and they're, they're taking a break for lunch. Uh, and, you know, his, his heart sinks. He wanted to be there for, for this man. He unpacks his, his bagpipes. He, he, he walks up to the grave, and in in the grave, I mean, the, it, it's our, You can see the casket. It's it's already it's down there. But he starts playing, and he starts playing his heart out. I mean, he's, he's playing melodies he's never played before. I, God hears the melodies and he smiles. The skies open up. He's playing his heart and soul out. And the crew, the Deacon crew, begins to gather around, uh, around this, this hole in the ground. And he's playing for this man who has no friends and no family. He begins to, to just play his heart out. And eventually he starts playing Amazing Grace. And the crew begins to sing with, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He begins to weep. It saves a wretch like me. Everyone's singing along. The crew begins to weep. I once was lost, but now I'm found. He has a hard time finishing the song. I was blind, but now I see. As he wraps up, his head is low, but his heart is full. He did a good thing. As he's walking back to his car, one of the crewmen, uh, who's wiping tears off of his off of his cheeks, you know, says, "You know, I, I, have, I haven't seen anything like that in my whole life, Henry. I've been I've been putting in these here septic tanks for twenty years." <laughs> And I have not seen a thing like that in my entire life. The guy was still lost, right? He had no idea where he was or what he was doing, but man, did he play his heart out. Some people would say that was a bad investment of his time, but I think he did a good thing. I'm really glad that one kind of sunk in. I was really worried about that falling flat. Uh, today, we're, we're, we're continuing, we're actually finishing up a series on stewardship. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about investment, real, like real investment, and not playing for a septic tank. Uh, <laughs> and I have the, the, the beautiful opportunity to talk about money today, uh, which, right, money is one of these things that immediately we kind of like, ooh, that's mine. And I feel the same way. It's mine. Just like the blues driver that I had two weeks ago, that's mine. And I, I know not all of you guys were here. It's a, it's a little guitar pedal that I just love, and it's mine. <laughs> but we have this attitude about money, too. That, you know, this is the, kind of the one thing we get to hold tightly and decide where it goes and decide who knows about it, who knows where we put it, who knows how much we make, who knows how much we've got going on. And we get to just dive into that just a little bit. And I, I want to just remind her really quick for the kids in the room, there's there's coloring books over there, there's there's crayons. Um, and you'll notice now for the the mild inconvenience that the construction is to children's ministry is that no children's ministry for the summer. Mild inconvenience. So we're going to have kids in the services uh, throughout the summer, and we're, we're kind of toying around with the idea of having a kid's table or a kid's section, uh, but we would need a volunteer for that. So if, if you at some point want to volunteer just to sit at the table, uh, color with the kids, just let one of us know, let Marin know, let myself know, just let someone know, uh, just so it's out there, and we'll, we'll get that all figured out. Uh, and the second thing is, you can right now, if you want, put your headphones in, and Pastor Trent is preaching downstairs live. If you want to open the app, you totally can. I know you're in here, but I'm just kidding. Uh, so we're going we're to kind of dive into this, and we're going to do that by, by reading a part of, of 2 Corinthians. Now, this is a letter in the New Testament of our Bible written by a guy named Paul uh, to a church in Corinth. They're called the Corinthians. And basically how this is going to go, I'm going to read right through it, and then we're going to kind of hit the whiteboard, which this is a new thing for me this week, uh, but we're going to kind of dive into that. Now, something we need to know before we dive into Corinthians is that uh, the church at Corinth is like this amoeba of misfits, and that's going to make a lot more sense later on. Amoeba of, mitzv- of misfits, amoeba of misfits, amoeba of, there it is. That's kind of hard to say, amoeba of misfits. Uh, <clears throat> now, two weeks ago, uh, I talked about, uh, we read a, another letter of Paul's to a friend of his named Timothy. And, and he says, basically, to let go of some of the stuff that we've got our grips on tightly so that we can take hold of eternal life. And, and, and I kind of made a joke about the blues driver, right, because it's something I needed and I still need and it's mine. Uh, and then last week, uh, Pastor Doug talked about, uh, actually he talked about ding-dongs, um, but more importantly than, than that, than hostess treats, he talked about the desires of our hearts. And, and as, we, as we gaze through the windshield of life and see God's greater vision, uh, is that taking up the whole thing or is that just a speck off in the distance? And this week, I want to talk about the local church specifically about about giving to the local church, participating in and with the local church. We're going to read through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. I'm going to read through it, and we're going to back way up through the history of God's people, which I'm sure we're all excited for, but it's going to be fun. So, if you want to follow along with me, you can. I'm reading out of the ESV. The NIVs are at your table. Paul says this, He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, before we talk a little bit more about who the Corinthians are, I wanna I wanna take a dive back into the history of just God interacting with His people because it didn't just start in the New Testament when Jesus came. It started a long time ago, and we're not gonna quite make it back all the way to Adam and Eve, but pretty pretty close. We're gonna we're gonna start with uh, Abraham and Sarah. So. Uh, these two little lines are going to represent Abraham and Sarah. And God decided to choose these people uh, to interact with, to, 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 to take out of their context and challenge them and to bring them into a land that God was going to show them. And, and so he starts to doing that. He promises them kids. And now when they were super old, and I, and I say that like meaning, when they were 100, when they had Their kids, but they began to grow as a people. They had, you know, you know, little ones, and their their little ancestry line began to grow. Uh, And God, I'll, I'll put God up here. Just as, and you know, all these illustrations kind of fall apart uh, if you really pick at them. But God decided, I'm going to interact. I choose this people. They're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless them. And I'm going to grow them into a great nation. They begin to grow and grow and grow and grow until, you know, all these lines, right? These are all people. They grow and grow and grow. And eventually, like people do, we mess up. They end up in slavery. Slavery. But God is not done with them yet. They're they're enslaved for generations. Now, in and through all of this, this sort of community of people, these people who belong to the God of the Bible, to Yahweh, uh, they're they're offering their first fruits. They're offering the the very first of their produce, the very first of their livestock uh, to God and serving one another. So God is interacting with these people, and now they're in slavery in Egypt. Uh, What does God do? He continues to interact with them. He calls this guy named Moses out. Moses comes along, uh, and through the power of God, he helps deliver God's people from slavery. And these become a people who are now identified by, by the God of the Bible who brought them out of slavery. And they respond by, by giving still their first fruits to one another uh, of, their, of their produce, of their finances, of their livestock. And they begin to grow and grow and grow and grow. And suddenly they become a nation. They become a people and God begins to sort of shape them as people who give to God, who give to one another and who give to others. Now, when we talk about the law, a lot of times we talk about it like the law. But really, this is instruction for people living in and with God's providence. And so he sets them up for, for success, but not in the way that you and I kind of define success. So he sets up laws like, hey, when you're, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're planting your crops and harvesting, um, don't go all the way to the edges here, you know, in case a foreigner comes along. And that way they've, they've got some food that they can kind of glean off of that. And, you know, don't, don't go through two times. Make sure there's just some Left so that when people uh, who feel like they don't belong come through, they feel like they belong. So God begins to shape his people as people who give to God, who give to one another, and who give to others. This, this continues on for a long time. Now what do we do in response to this? How God is setting us up uh, for life together and life with him. Of course, we respond by sinning. This, this is what we do, right? Over and over again. We, we turn away from him. Uh, but, but still, God chooses to bless these people so that the nations become blessed. Now, <clears throat> after they were delivered from slavery, they're wandering in the desert. And no longer does God just decide to remain sort of abstract and obsolete. Uh, he decides, let's, let's build a place uh, where I can dwell and, and you can worship me and worship with me. And they build what's called the tabernacle, this portable uh, house of God. So that wherever they go, this local community, God is with them. Now as the community grows, eventually they, they, they come into the land that's promised to them and they grow into a nation with power and wealth and with armies and all this good stuff and they, they, they decide to build uh, a more permanent dwelling place for the throne room so that they can worship freely. So they begin to worship God. And this goes on and on and on. And how do you think we responded? By sinning. Sweet. As God sets up his people to give to him, to give to each other and give to others, still we turn away from him. And still, throughout all of this history, God has decided, I'm going to be a part of this people. I'm going to associate with these people. Even though they rub my name in the dirt, they're my people. And I'm their God. So they, they begin to grow. And they divide. And they, and they, they, they sin. They murder. They, they, they lust. They do all this stuff that we shouldn't do, that we, that we continue doing. Yet, God... Still decides, these are my people. And even though they're rubbing my name in the dirt, I'm going to associate myself with these sinners. This goes on and on and on and on and on. If you read your Old Testament, you'll get to a book called Malachi. Uh, Malachi was a, uh, it, it means my messenger. So we don't know, maybe it was a specific a person. It could have been a prophet or a, or a, or a priest. Um, but God has a word for his people. And then it seems like God's people don't hear from him for f- hundreds of years. There's this this silence. What do you think we do in that silence? We keep sinning. Sweet. But he's preparing a place, a way, a time, a a people for his son to come. And Jesus does come. Suddenly, uh, now God is once again dwelling among his people and in his people. And something crazy happens. Oh, well, I hope this thing doesn't fall over. Whew. So, I'm going to draw this line here. This is a poor excuse for the heavens, but this is the heavens, right? <laughs> that looks pretty good. Jesus comes down. And even though God's people are still sinning, are still not giving to Him, not giving to each other, and not giving to others, Christ comes down and He dies. He's buried, and he's raised from the dead. We just shared those words. And he ascends to heaven. But along the way, while he's living, he gathers people around him. He gathers sinners. He gathers tax collectors. He gathers people that nobody wants to deal with. And he makes them fishers of men. Somehow, some way, some reason, the God of the universe decides, I want to associate myself with the lowest of the lows. And he does this time and time again. Jesus walks with us, talks with us, knows us, loves us. And now, all these little people, as we start to follow Christ, they soon start to look a little bit more like Christ. Imperfectly, as you can obviously see. But still we mess up. Still we we turn away from him there but jesus decides to not just ascend but what does he send the holy spirit nice yeah you got me so we got this error now coming back down uh and and we talk about the church as uh, and the holy spirit as as dwelling within us right and now when, when we say that usually what comes to mind is he dwells within each of us yes Primarily, when Paul talks about the Spirit being involved in the life of the church, this is what he's talking about. The Spirit among us. In each and every one of us. And we become this sort of amoeba. And our life begins to collide our life begins to intersect, uh, and cultures begin to come together. Now, now let's talk about now let's talk about the Corinthians. When we get to the New Testament, actually, I don't need to come down yet. When we get to the New Testament, uh, this guy named Paul becomes this church planter. Uh, and if you, you look at all the books, you'll see you'll see books like uh, books like Galatians, right? Uh, that's a that's a church in the city of Galatia, or or maybe you'll have Romans, and that's a church in the city of Nice. Or you see uh, Ephesians. This one's a little harder. That's a, that's a church in the city of? Nice. All right, you have the Corinthians. And that is a church in the city of Corinth. All right, let's talk about these Corinthians here. Now, many of the cities of the, of the New Testament in our Bible are a lot like today. I mean, we're separated by 2,000 years, but... Not much has changed, really. We keep on sinning. We keep messing up. And God keeps saying, I'm going to associate myself uh, with these dummies, and it's going to be all right. That's kind of the truth. Let's talk about the Corinthians. Corinth, uh, if there was a city that kind of modeled what the United States is, That's kind of like Corinth. There's there's a lot of tourism. There's fertile soil just outside the city. People would come from from miles and miles away, kind of flocking from every different part of life to participate, whether it's gambling uh, financially or physically in athletic competitions. Uh, Merchants would do anything to kind of get ahead. If you were taking one step forward, it had to answer the question, uh, is this good for me? If yes, I'm going to do it. That's Corinth. This melting pot of diversity where people would come from all different walks of life. Now imagine a church full of people from all different walks of life. That's Corinth. Fast forward 2,000 years. If you look around this room, all of us come from different walks of life. Now, for some reason, this amoeba of misfits in Corinth. People who maybe grew up uh, in, in, in the Jewish tradition, uh, grew up giving and tithing uh, and, and, and you know measuring out every ounce of cumin or thyme uh, or, or any other spice that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Um, but they, they grew up measuring all these things out, making sure that they tithe to the letter of the law. Or you might have some people who previously were offering sacrifices to the, the false god of Baal. You had all these people in the same room. And still, Jesus decides to associate with this amoeba of misfits. If you look around this room, we are this amoeba of misfits. So that when somebody who, who, doesn't, who doesn't feel like they belong, when they come in here, they experience blessing. When they come through, even if they don't stay, they experience blessing. We are this amoeba of misfits that's meant to glorify and give to God. That's meant to give to each other and that's meant to give To others. This is the saddest, oh my goodness, arrow I've ever seen. And what do we do in response to this? We keep sinning. And still, God throughout all of history has decided I want to associate with this people here. So when Paul writes to the church in Galatia or Ephesus or Colossae or or the Corinthians, uh, whoever it might be, in Laodicea, uh, all these different places, he's writing to this local community. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, uh, if you go to these places, these cities, you see these, you see these meadows and valleys, and all of a sudden there's a hill, and there's a city. So if you were a worshiping community in this city, you could not get far away enough from Aunt Barb, right? You were stuck in community with one another. I don't, it sounds like some of you might have an Aunt Barb, and you're like, I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> Everywhere... Paul writes to as this, this close-knit band of Jesus followers who are practicing their Christ-likeness and practicing their faithing, whatever that means, as they learn how to bring all of these different patterns into life together. Now Now imagine... 2,000 years later, and we've got a room full of people, uh, you know, and some, some of the people in the room are probably, you know, holding hammers to, to like, smash down the wall that's going to be going up, and some people are holding hammers to build the wall that's going up. Uh, some people uh, in this room maybe have, you know, 2020 Trump stickers, and some people are like, yeah, impeach Trump. Like, we have people in this room that come from all different walks of life. That's this, this amoeba Of misfits, people, some people who have never given in their entire lives to anything except their own pocketbooks. That's some of us in this room. And some of us who have tithed uh, our entire lives. That's some of us in this room. Now, why am I saying all this? Because we're not that different from the amoeba of misfits in Corinth. And the assumption that Paul has is not to tell them to give to the local church, is that they're giving. In fact, right before the passage we read, Paul says, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, he's asking, he had asked them, Hey, above and beyond what you're already giving, I want to take an extra offering for some of the poor in Jerusalem. He brings that to him. The assumption is that all of these misfits who come from different walks of life, for some reason, God has decided to put a special value on this local community. The assumption is that they're giving. And Paul says this about it. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I want to I kind of pass this bag around. Don't break the bag. There's some nasty stuff in here. I'm just kidding. Uh, so this is grass seed, right? Uh, and if you want to just like pass that around and take a look at it, you just, just feel it. That's, that's, that's grass seed. Um, that's expensive stuff. And it's kind of coated in nutrients and food and protection so that when you put it down, it's going to be all right. Now, <clears throat> I put some of that in my backyard. What would happen to that grass if I left it in the bag all the time? It would remain grass seed, right? That, that, that kind of makes sense. Now, what would happen if I, if I, if I sowed that Sparingly, we would reap it. Sparingly. Right, right. I want to try that again. What would happen if we sowed that sparingly? sparingly? We would reap that. Sparingly. Yeah. Now, one question: When you plant grass seed, uh, what do you get? You don't get more grass seed. Speaking of, does anybody know how they get grass seed? It's like, really, does anybody know where do they get grass seed from? Anyone? Jim? Really? I had no idea. Wow. All right. If you let the grass grow long enough, it'll come off the stalks. Sweet, sweet. So <clears throat> the point is, is if, you, if, you, if you sow that sparingly, uh, only a few stalks of grass are going to come out. Now, let's keep reading what Paul says here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, he may abound in every good work as it is written. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I want to point out something. The assumption is that these people are giving. And throughout the history of God's church, he has had a special place in his heart for local communities, which is why uh, we have Mosaic uh, either at the Moors or Mosaic at the Stainhooks this week, which is going to be awesome, Tuesday at 6 to 9, because we are designed to be in community for one another and with one another and to one another. So that we can be a community that gives to God, gives to one another, and gives to others. Now, as we give to the local church, which uh, today we have often overly professionalized it, right? We have often overly organized it. And that's, that's okay to say. The church has always been imperfect. Now, when we say church, we think of, of things like this and the beautiful building that we've got uh, coming up. Now, if we, if we, for a moment, disconnect that. Because for the first time in our history, uh, and this kind of came with the invention of the automobile, we are no longer this sort of centralized amoeba. Ellen and I live in Granville, and boy, do we often feel like we live too far away from our worshiping community, because we have, we have this going on, we have, we have this up here, and, and this down here. And... We've sort of separated our lives from the community of worshipers that God has designed us to be a part of. And when we do that, it's easy to say the church is that thing over there that I do uh, on the weekends. Now, for those of you in the room who have been tithing your whole life, I want to ask you to reconsider that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be giving to your local church, whether that's community or elsewhere. But what what does Paul say here? not to give under compulsion. If you've been giving simply because it's tradition or because you feel like you have to, I want you to reconsider that. And if you, if you haven't ever given to your local church, I want you to look around the room. Just look, look, just look around. I know it's uncomfortable. I know. This is the church. And though we've sort of overly professionalized it and, 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 and compartmentalized it, As we participate in the life of the church, with our finances, with our homes, with our food, with our cumin, and our thyme, and our paprika, and our chili powder. I could use that. So if you could start tithing that, that would be awesome. I want to encourage you to consider uh, that we're not just giving to some uh, far-off entity. But if you're participating in the local church, I want to ask you to consider financially participating. Because money is a gift from God. All of it. There's a, a cool example of you know, a, a father, he's got a birthday, and, he, and he's got kids, and so he gives them money so that they can buy a gift for him. Now, did they really give him a gift? Yeah, in some ways, but did they really give him a gift? All of our money, all of our stuff, it's not ours. It comes from, from God's pocket in, in, my, in my pants to, to another pocket of his. Paul doesn't say, if you make an investment in the church, that it'll be a good one. Now, maybe you won't be playing the bagpipes over a septic tank. But you might not receive more money because you gave. You might not. But if you believe in the local church, if you believe that God is working at community, I want to ask you to consider participating financially, participating with you, with yourself, with, with, with your time, with, with your homes, with your food, with whatever that is. If you believe God is working at Community Reformed, if this is your home church, and some of you traveled, consider participating. And if you feel like you can't, I want to ask you, why not? If you feel like you can't, call it out. If you feel like there's distrust, call it out. Let's be a part of fixing that. But as a people, as, a, as an amoeba of misfits, although we've kind of separated ourselves, we are still this, this amoeba. And it's messy, and it's not conformed well, and the lines don't even really line up. But that's us. If you believe God is working in this local church, in your local church where you are, I want us to ask you to consider giving. And notice we're not receiving offerings after the message. I don't want you to, to give right after this because I want you to chew on it. And, and pursue these scriptures so that you aren't giving out of, uh, out of compulsion. But you give what God has put on your heart. Let's pray. God, this, this messy amoeba of misfits is your people. Lord, help us not to think that church is some far-off, compartmentalized uh, entity. But rather, the church is your local people, able to bless others as they come in who feel like they don't belong, even if they don't stay. So Lord, put on our hearts to participate in all the ways you've called us to participate. Because you have a special place in your heart for the local church. For some reason, you've decided to use us as your agent of mercy and grace in and through the world. So Father, if our hearts belong to you, let a fire in us so that we'll participate financially, but in so many other ways too. We love you, we cherish you. You're worthy of praise and worship, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, by the power of your spirit for your glory. All God's people said, amen. Amen.